Amen. Well, thank you so much, Mike and the band, for leading us in worship this morning. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. It's good to see all of you all. I guess we, like, made everybody sit over here this morning. We kind of got, like, this uh, heavier section and then dispersed throughout. But y'all, so great to see you here this morning. For those of you that aren't here or joining online, we're glad you're joining with us this morning. As we are continuing our Advent Themes series, uh, we're going through Advent Themes. If you are here with us last week, we started this series, and basically the goal of this series is we're looking at the different themes that are prevalent during the Christmas season, specifically that of joy and peace and hope and love. We're going to be looking at joy, peace, and hope specifically one at a time throughout the weeks and looking at each of them and seeing the significance of them during this Advent season. Just as a reminder, the word Advent means arrival or coming. And so we celebrate this time as Advent because we're celebrating the arrival of Jesus, the coming of Jesus. And as we talked about last week, when we looked at our hope, our hope is in that Jesus came one time and he is going to come again. Well, this week we're going to be looking at the word joy. Our topic for this morning is joy. Our Advent theme is joy. And y'all, I'm going to be honest before I even get started. My idea of joy going into this week was this was going to be the toughest of the three to have to discuss. And I don't know if I've ever been more wrong in something in my life, just being honest. Because whenever I think of joy, to me, joy is a pretty simple idea. Joy is a simple idea. It's simple where we got to look for joy. But, yo, as I looked this week, I don't think I realized just how massive the subject is whenever we think of joy, of joy in our world, of joy in our life. And I'm going to ask for grace this morning because I'm going to do something a little bit different. I know I said that last week, but I'm more of what they would call an expositional preacher, which means I prefer, I'm most comfortable walking through one text of scripture versus doing a topical study. So you got to give me some grace whenever I do topical. But as we look at joy this morning, I'm going to do two things. I want to spend the first half of our time of the sermon this morning looking at how does the world tell us to get joy? How does the world tell us we can get joy? So I'm not going to open the Bible until halfway in. You'll understand why whenever I get there. But we're going to look at what is, what is this great need that we have of joy? And then the second half, we're going to come back and we're going to answer, what does the Bible say about joy and how we can get it? So what does the world say? And then what does the Bible have to say? Let me pray for us and we'll jump in. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for this morning. God, I thank you for the opportunity to do what we just did, to sing and to worship and to praise you. God, I thank you for our band and, and, and our worship team that you've blessed us with. God, I pray this morning as, as we come to this topic of joy, Lord, help us see what you want us to see. Help us hear what you want us to hear. God, help us understand how immense this topic really is. And honestly, it might be the most significant topic we talk about. We ask all this, Father, in your precious and your holy son's name. Amen. Amen. So as I said... As I studied joy this week, I recognized that we need and we desire joy in this world more than I think I even realized. Really, if you think about it, the pursuit of joy is the goal of every person's life. Why do we pursue relationships to have joy, to have happiness? Why do we pursue a career to have joy, to have happiness? Why do we cheer for a certain team to have joy, to have happiness? Why do we do anything that we do in our lives? It's so that we can ultimately have joy, right? It's so that we can be happy, all of us. We want a certain job, a certain family life, a certain ability in something, or whatever the goal of living is, the goal of living is an overall happy life, which really means our pursuit is that of joy. 
And to explain, you know, joy and happiness are different things. Happiness is more dependent upon your circumstance. The easy way to remember that is happiness comes from the root of happenings. So what is happening is where your happiness is found. Now, joy is much deeper than that. Joy isn't based in circumstances. Whereas happiness is more the physical, joy is a sort of happiness of the soul that doesn't shift or change based on the circumstances that we are in. And, you know, I would say this morning, I don't think it is an overstatement to say that the pursuit of joy is a summary of everyone's life. The pursuit of joy is a summary of everyone's life. But there's a problem here. And if we're honest, it seems like there aren't that many truly joyful people in this world. A lot of us aren't even that joyful either ourselves. And, you all I'm sorry. I'm going to take a second just to deviate real quick. Somebody's hearing aid is going off, and I think everybody's starting to look around. So if you have an ear aid, a hearing aid, I'd ask you just to check real quick to make sure it's not yours that's going off. That's, this is sponsored by no hearing agency or anything like that, but I just wanted to add that in there. If you have a hearing aid, please check. So once again, I don't think it's an overstatement to say that all of our lives is that of the pursuit of joy. We pursue joy. We desire to be joy. And our problem is, is we don't seem to see people around us as that joyful. We don't know, it looks like we don't know that many people that truly live a joy-filled life. So how can I be so sure of this? Well, one this, people live their whole lives trying to be joyful, content, and fulfilled, but it seems to be so rare. If you go to the most successful people in the world, to the least successful people in the world, one thing you may notice is all of them seem that joy is, is hard to get, it's hard to find. And the question I want to answer this morning is why? Why does joy seem to be so elusive? Why does it seem to have a joy, a happy, a joy-filled, content life? Why does it seem so difficult? You know, I listened to a, a, a lecture, I guess you would call it, by a guy named Timothy Keller this week. And Timothy Keller, he, is, he was the former pastor at Redeemer Presbyterian Church in, in New York City. And during his time there, he used to do something called open forums. And an open forum was simply a time where he would invite skeptics and people who questioned Christianity and its validity, they would invite them in to come in and, and hear the claims of Christianity. He would talk about certain different topics. Well, one specific one he did was in October of 2002. And the question that he answered was, what is joy? What is happiness? And how can I get it? The topic was, what is joy or happiness? And how can I get it? Honestly, it's one of the best speeches I've ever heard in my life. It's to a group of people who weren't Christians. They were skeptics at best. And he said, from a worldly perspective, I want to answer, what is joy and how can you get it? And, y'all, this, this lecture was so good, I listened to it four times because I'm going to be honest. It blew my mind, the simplicity, but the accuracy of it. And I think for us, before we can look at what God's word has to say about joy, we need to recognize what our world tells us and we need to recognize the truth of it. And so what I want to do is, honestly, I want to summarize some of my takeaways from what Keller even said in his discussion. He began by just talking about how there is this great need of joy in our world today. I've already said that. But the interesting thing is this great need for joy makes all of us extremely vulnerable. It makes all of us vulnerable because we look for things in this world to bring us joy, to bring us contentment, to bring us fulfillment. And he said something really interesting. He said, in our world, we find there's like this joy vacuum that we can bring in. We can do all these things or achieve these things or, or whatever it might be. We try and fulfill this joy that we feel, this joy void in our heart, but it's like a vacuum. It's like there's a hole in our soul. We try and get happy by things in this world, and it just doesn't happen. 
And whenever we seek for joy or fulfillment in things of this world and it doesn't happen, we experience like an internal collapse. And honestly, all of us have experienced these, most of us, very early on in life. Junior high or high school, I would say you will experience at some point this internal collapse. Maybe it's you go for sports and eventually you realize sports doesn't give you what you thought it would. Maybe you, most of us at some point have experienced maybe with a boyfriend or a girlfriend, whenever you didn't realize how much joy or fulfillment you found in another person until you no longer had that person. Whether you were broken up with or you did the breaking up, there's this, this void there. You know, I can remember vividly when this implosion happened in my life. It was my first year of college. See, I was the kid in high school who, honestly, I achieved everything that I wanted. I, I did most everything I wanted to do. And I remember getting to college, my freshman year of college, and I mean this, not even tongue-in-cheek, I mean this honestly. I was so hurt by the fact that people weren't impressed with who I was. I was so hurt by the fact that people didn't care who I was at Quitman High School. People didn't care what I did in sports. People didn't care what I did. Y'all don't care what I did. If we're honest, right? Like, who cares? I don't care what I did at this point in my life. But I can just remember this vacuum of like, man, this is where my worth has been placed for so long, and now it's not there. It's almost like, well, what am I going to do? And I did what many of us do. I went grabbing. Find joy in this. Find contentment in this. Find fulfillment in this. Well, Keller actually went on, and he just gives two ways. He says, how can we find joy? If you were to ask the world, how can you find joy in this life? They're going to give you two answers. These are kind of nuanced. But two simple answers are this. They're going to give you naive primary strategies, and I'll explain what that means. A naive primary strategy for the way you can find joy. And then when that doesn't work, there are a bunch of unstable secondary options. So he starts by saying there are naive primary strategies where the world tells us if you do this, then you will be happy. You will be joyful. You will be fulfilled. And you can break these down into two things in America. It changes based on culture, but in America it's simple. There's the traditional strategy, and then there's the contemporary strategy. You can break it down that simple. The traditional strategy is the idea that you'll be happy if you achieve the role that is assigned to you. I would say it like this. You'll be happy if you just do the status quo. Dot your I's, cross your T's. That life looks like this. Be a good kid. Stay in and around the church. Go to college. Get your degree. Get a good job. Meet someone. Have a wife. Have a husband. Have some kids. Have a white picket fence, a little house. Have a good job. And you will be fulfilled if you do this. Now, on the opposite side of that, there's the contemporary model. Contemporary culture says instead of if you feel happy, do the status quo, do the traditional method. It's if you want to be happy, go and create the role that you want. In other words, dream big and then go get your dreams. Don't let anyone or anything get in your way of achieving your dreams. Don't let a spouse get in your way. Don't let a family get in your way. Don't let money get in the way. You achieve your dreams at all costs because when you do, then you will be happy. You can be anything you want to be and become it and then you will find joy. I love he gave the example of Babe the Pig. I don't know if all of you here have seen the movie Babe. But it, it was a popular movie whenever I was growing up of the little pig who wants to be a sheepdog. And really the whole movie is, babe, if you really want to be a sheepdog, you can do it. Achieve your dream of being the sheepdog. But ultimately a pig can't be a sheepdog, right? It's not going to be a sheepdog. You know, the big problem with both of these is that our world honestly makes it sound like being joyful or having a fulfilled life. It's so easy. Just choose your model, your traditional model, family and work and this, or choose the dreams and go achieve and go do. It's just so easy. You look at our culture, you look at our entertainment, this is what all movies are based off of, the traditional method or the contemporary method. 
But the truth is, is this way of thinking is naive because it does not work. It doesn't work. You can achieve either one of these, and you will not be fulfilled. I would say it this way. Maybe you do achieve your dreams. Maybe you do fulfill everything. But the lie is this. The naive part is this, is that you actually think by achieving your dreams, that's going to make you happy. It will not. You will not be fulfilled. And I love how Keller moved to this. He said, then he asked them, what makes all of us realize that these models don't work? He says, one of two things. It's either failure or success. In other words, either route you go, you're going to realize your contentment isn't here. Your joy isn't here. All of us have had that disappointment or that failure in our life that just feels like this implosion. Of like, man, this is what I was going to for my joy, or this is what was going to make me happy, and it didn't work out. Or I think even the faster track of realizing how you're not going to get joy from this world is radical success. You want me to give you an example? I can give you hundreds. Just look at celebrities. Why is it that all of us are so busy trying to make a name for ourselves, maybe the ones who do have a name for themselves, who have achieved their dreams, would say, I'm miserable? You know why? Because the world does not give you what it says it's going to give you. You can achieve all your dreams, but just because you feel your dreams doesn't mean you fulfill your purpose. There's a difference. Disappointment or failure or success, either way, at some point you go, I'm doing what I was told to make me happy and make me joyful, but it isn't working. And once you get here, you move to the below strategy. And I think this is so true. You move from naive primary strategies to unstable secondary strategies. And he just lists three. I think they're great. One, he says, it's the switch strategy. It's the switch. You go from the traditional model of happiness. Well, now I'm going to go over here to the contemporary model. It must just be the model that I'm running after. It must just be where I'm running for my joy. I need to switch. Leave the traditional for the contemporary or vice versa. The classic example I would give you, if you've ever seen Sweet Home Alabama, that is it. If you know what I'm talking about, Sweet Home Alabama, Reese Witherspoon. She's from this nice little country traditional area, right? Grow up. Be a good kid, get your thing, get your job, get your family, have your kids, have many kids, and then, you know, do it all over again, right? But she leaves and goes to New York to achieve her dreams, and what does she do? She's incredibly successful. She gets all of them, but then she goes back home, and what happens? She realizes she's not fulfilled. She's not fulfilled achieving her dreams. She's not fulfilled living the lavish lifestyle. She's not fulfilled in where she is. Then she goes back to the traditional model. And the movie would have you think the traditional model is going to fulfill her or bring her the joy she's looking for. It won't. The switch strategy. Some of us might call that the midlife crisis. Or you might call that what I would see from the good kid in high school goes to college and realizes they weren't fulfilled in high school being the good kid. So I'm going to go to college and just do the exact opposite. Just go wild. You know why? Because I wasn't fulfilled in that. Maybe this will work. I've even seen it the other way, where in high school, they do everything that they thought would make them happy, and they're miserable, so then they get to college, and they're just searching. I don't know what's going to bring me joy, so we're just grabbing in this joy vacuum. What's going to bring me joy? The switch strategy. The second one is the frantic strategy, and I think this might even be most prevalent in our society, is the let's just take the strategy, the route we're going, and just amp it up five times, amp it up ten times. Maybe I'm struggling in this traditional model because I need a different spouse, a better spouse, a better home, more money, maybe a better job. Maybe once I get to this next level, once I get that house, maybe in this traditional model, maybe I'm just not getting there good enough. Or in the contemporary model, you know what? I need to dream even bigger. Yeah, I achieved my dreams, but my dreams were too low. I just need to make more. I need to do more. I need to make a greater name for myself, do more for myself. It's the frantic strategy. Let me just amp it up. 
And the third strategy would be that of the cynic. And y'all, this is where you see a lot in America today, the cynical strategy. And it's just to throw your hands in the air and say, there's no such thing as joy and fulfillment in this world. This would be where an atheist or an agnostic would most likely hang out as they would say, look, there's no fulfillment here, and you're an idiot if you run for it. That would be the message. For you to think you can find that in religion or in a job or in a spouse or in a family, you're not going to find it there. It's not to be found here on earth. It would be the cynical approach. Y'all, I would end this section by simply asking this question. How is it that we really could reach all our dreams, fulfill all our plans, get what we want in life, the marriage, the kids, the success, whatever, and yet still not be joyful or fulfilled? There are examples all around us of this is the case. Why? Because our joy is not found here. Our joy cannot be found here in the world. Nothing on this earth can satisfy the joy vacuum that we feel inside of us. To which it would make me move, instead of answering how does the world answer how do we get joy, we need to go to the Bible and see what does the Bible say about how can you find joy. And I'm just going to do this in three things. I'm going to look at the source of joy, the status of joy, and the sustainer of joy. We'll move through these things, these things quickly. I think they're extremely evident and obvious in Scripture. The first thing is this, our source of joy. Where can we find joy? You know, I don't know if people in here struggle with losing things. You know, Braden preached several weeks ago, and he gave that confession on the front end. He struggles losing his keys, his wallet, and his phone all the time. We laughed afterwards because he knows, and I know, I'm like the exact opposite. You could ask me where my keys are right now, and I would tell you exactly where they are and how they're placed where they are. I think I'm OCD or anal. I don't know what I am, but I'm just, I don't really misplace things very often. I just know exactly there's a spot where they go. I'm just predictable is a better way to put it. But if you've ever misplaced something, the worst thing ever is to ask somebody, hey, do you know where I, I, I can't find this? Do you know where it is? And they go, yeah, I know where it is. Okay, where? Well, it's the last place where you left it. Okay. Thank you. I'm hitting you in my mind right now. But thank you. I appreciate that. You know, it's, it's sarcasm, but it's kind of true, right? If you want to find what you lost, you got to go back to where you left it, right? Where it was lost. In other words, to find something that's lost, the goal is stop looking in the wrong places. Just look in the right spot. And y'all hear me, joy and fulfillment in this world was lost the day that Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden. The day that sin entered into the world, joy and fulfillment here was lost in the things of the world because we were separated from God. Where do you find joy? It is only in one place. It is in God. How do we know this? Scripture is replete with examples of this. To put it quite simply, last week we ended with Romans 15, 13. Romans 15, 13. Remember, we ended by saying, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Where does the joy and peace come from? From God. He fills you with joy and with peace. More specifically, joy comes from being with God. Psalm chapter 16, verse 11, I I love how it puts this. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Another way of saying that is you fill me with joy when I am with you. In the presence of God is joy. To be with God is joy. Y'all, do you know why joy is such a massive theme during Christmas? Before this week, I didn't understand it as much. I said, yeah, I mean, it's joyful because Jesus was born. No, no, no. It's joyful because God 
who possesses joy. In his presence, that's where joy is. Before he came to earth, there was no way to get to God. The only way you could was in the Holy of Holies in the temple where only certain people could go in there. Joy to the world was radically unknown. But whenever God sent Jesus into the world, he sent the presence of himself, which means joy came to the world, literally. If in God's presence, if he's the one who possesses joy, when Jesus came, he brought joy with him. Y'all, true joy is actually a gift from God. A fun fact to add this morning is the word joy in Greek is kera. The word grace or gift in Greek is charis. You know what? Charis and kara go together. They're basically like synonyms of one another. So to get joy is to get a gift. It's to get grace. And what gift did God give us to give us joy? His son, Jesus. And this is what we celebrate whenever we talk about Christmas. I want to look at two Christmas passages. Look at, turn to Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2 and Matthew 2, and we're going to be in both of these really for the rest of the time. I'll, I'll reference them back and forth. Luke chapter 2, Matthew 2, if you're just on your phone and you can't go to both, just go to Luke chapter 2 and just hang out there. But in Luke chapter 2 and in Matthew chapter 2, I want you to see the prominent theme of whenever Jesus was born, what is the main theme that is brought out in both of these passages? Luke chapter 2, we're going to begin in verse 8 and go through verse 11. It says this, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And look at this. The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. So they come to these shepherds, and he says, this person that's being born is this good news of great joy. With his presence comes joy. Now I want you to look over at the visit from the wise man in Matthew chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. It says this, after listening to the king, the wise men went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Notice what it says again there, verse 10. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. At what? At the presence of Jesus. Y'all think about this. Wise men, men of high status, are praising the fact that a baby has been born. A baby. Not the, not the parents. No relation there. They have joy because of the baby, because of the child. You see, in the presence of God, there is joy. You know, the reason that the joy vacuum, the joy hole in our hearts is so big is because the only thing that can fill it is God himself. That's why nothing in this world can truly satisfy, because a hole in our hearts is a God-sized hole, and nothing besides him can fill it. Augustine, one of the greatest scholars in our history, in Christian history, alive in the 4th century and into the 5th century a little bit, he actually wrote a book called Confessions, and it's pretty neat. The, the whole premise of the book is he's writing about how he used to live, the, what we would maybe call the contemporary model, 
He lived after his dreams and lived after fame and lived after success and lived after all these things. And he didn't get joy. He wasn't fulfilled. He wasn't content. And then one day he found Jesus. And he became a follower of Jesus. And he begins to write about how that radically changed him, radically changed who he was. And I want to read a simple excerpt from his book, Confessions. I actually put it up on the screen for you as well so you can see. He says this, we take joy in praising you, O Lord, for you have made us, you have created us for yourself, and listen to this, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. You hear that? Our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. The joy vacuum in all of our hearts can only be filled by one thing, and that is God himself. And we celebrate Christmas because he sent Jesus to us that we might have a relationship with him. The source of joy. Where can we find joy? It's God and God alone. The second thing, the status of joy. The status of joy. By that I just mean who can have this joy? Who is this joy available to? I said a while ago, before Jesus came, the opportunity to be in the presence of God was limited at best. If the presence of God is what brings joy in our lives... Then before Jesus came, only the, uh, only the high priest could even go be in the presence of God once a year. Other than that, you could get close, but the common person couldn't get close to God. You couldn't be close to be in his presence. But what do you see here whenever Jesus is born? Look again, Luke chapter 2, verse 10. Look at what it said to the shepherds. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for who? All the people. All the people. And he tells them, this day a Savior is born to you, Christ the Lord. This is the only sentence, the only time we see somebody's being told this specifically, these three titles of Jesus. And they're being told to shepherds. That might not mean much to us. But the fact that this message was given to shepherds would be almost like us going and giving the greatest message, the good news of Jesus to homeless people. You see, shepherds were the lowest of the low in their society. They weren't allowed to give testimony in court. They were too low for that. They weren't allowed to enter the temple. Even if you were a Jew, they were too low for that. They were the lowest of the low. And yet, whenever Jesus was born, who did the angels go to? The lowest in society. He said, I bring good news of great joy that's going to be for everybody, for all people, the lowest in society. You flip back over to Matthew chapter 2, verse 10. And who are we talking to here? The wise men. Wise men from the east. What does this really mean? Well, everybody would tell you, we don't know exactly where these wise men were from. We don't know the names. We don't know who they were. We don't know if there was three or if there was 50. We don't know. But wise men had a prominent, prominent seat in the eastern world of that day. If you want to get an understanding of what this looks like, just go to the book of Daniel. Daniel, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, these guys were brought over and they were brought in as wise men. But they had to look a certain way and act a certain way and be a certain way and resemble a certain wisdom and strength. And then they were elevated in their society. These men were high-profile, high-society people. So you see the lowest of society, the shepherds, and then the highest in society, the wise men. If you don't know for sure how really well-off they were or their status, just look at the gifts they brought. Gold, frankincense, myrrh. All I'm saying is if you hold a baby shower and somebody shows up and gives you $50,000 for your kid, gives you two full years of diaper wipes and diapers, and then starts a little college fund for your child, that person has status. They have money, right? This is what it looks like. The gifts that they brought for Jesus show that they were of high status. 
So who can have this joy? Everybody. Both the high in society and the low in society. So the source of joy, where can we find it? It's God, his presence, him alone. The status of joy, who can have this joy? All, both the low and the high in society. And the third thing I would ask is this, or say is this, the sustainer of joy. And this is just to answer, how can I have joy continually? How can I have joy continually? You know, there's some people that have been frustrated with Christianity even. Because they say, you know what, at some point I tried out the church and it didn't give me what I thought it was supposed to give me. At some point I tried this out and it just, it didn't bring me the joy that I thought it would or the fulfillment that I thought it would. Well, I think one of the main issues is we miss this part right here. The sustainer of joy. How can I have joy continually? Romans 15, 13, again, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing as you believe, as you have faith in him, as you trust in him. Galatians 5.22 says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, and it goes throughout the list. But what both of these things show us is that we see, one, God must fill us with joy. Joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, so it's a byproduct of the Spirit working in our lives. You know, if you think of joy, a very prominent theme around joy in our world is people will tell you to choose joy. Choose joy. You know, maybe that isn't completely wrong in every way, but I don't think you necessarily can choose joy. If joy doesn't come from inside of you, if it comes outside of you, you can't really choose joy. It'd be better to say choose Jesus. Run to him, and he will fill you with joy. Run to Christ, and he will produce joy in you. To choose Jesus means you value him like you should. I love the way one site says the fruit of this Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is the product of his cultivation of character in the human heart. And joy is cultivated in us when we value God as we should. Joy is cultivated in us as we value God as we should. Because I like alliterations, I'm going to finish this last part with three simple things that show you how you value, how you value, how joy is cultivated in us whenever we value three things. When you value God's presence as you should. Joy will be cultivated in your life. To value his presence means you spend time with him. If joy comes from being in his presence, if he is the source of joy, then we must spend time in his presence. Now, John chapter 15, Jesus is speaking to his disciples for one of the last times. And he continues to tell them, abide in me, remain in me. Abide in me, remain in me. It's the whole thrust of this passage. Stay close to me. And then in John 15, 11, he says this, these things I have spoken to you to abide in me, to remain in me, that my joy may be in you, and that what? That your joy may be full. The only way to find joy in this life, the only way to be fulfilled in this life, the only way to feel joy is to spend time with Jesus, is to be with him, and then he will produce these things in us. You always love whenever you see a family or a group of people, they go off to the beach and they come back. Because it's always obvious, the people that go to a beach for vacations, right? It's obvious because there are certain indicators that shows they were at the beach for a little while. Either they're going to be as red as they can be, all of us have been there, going to be extremely red. They're going to come back and you just see freckles all over their face. That's my plight. That's where we're at. Or they come back and you're like, man, they're darker, they're tanner, they're whatever, It's obvious that they've been at the beach. It's obvious that they've been in the presence of the sun because the effects that are on them. 
Just like you can't be in the Son's presence without being affected, we can't be in God's presence without being affected. And one of the ways that you know is joy overwhelms in our life. Joy is welled up in our life. The more we spend time with Jesus, the more we walk away, not feeling discouraged or disheartened or without joy, but being in his presence, we find joy. Joy is cultivated in us when, one, God's, when we value God's presence as we should. To value his presence means we spend time with him. The second thing, joy is cultivated in us when we value God's promises as we should. When we value his promises as we should. To value his promises is to obey them. It's to know God's word and to obey God's word. That's how you know you value what he gives us. Your obedience to God's word brings lasting joy. John 14, 21, in the same conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples, he says this. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. What does that mean? I will manifest myself to him. It means I will make myself known to them. The more Jesus makes himself known to us, the more what wells up in our life? Joy. The more you know him, the more you have joy. You must obey him. Spend time with him, but obey him. Joy is cultivated in us whenever we, whenever we value God's presence as we should. Joy is cultivated in us whenever we value God's promises as we should. And third and finally, joy is cultivated in us when we value God's plans as we should. And this is the most difficult of all. To value God's plans means we submit to them whatever they are. We submit to them no matter what. You know, James chapter 1 is actually one of the more popular passages in all of Scripture. James itself is, is a book that so many people love. But you know, it's interesting. James 1 gives us some of the most difficult wisdom there is to learn in this life. James 1, 2 through 4 says this, count it all joy my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. You hear what that says? Be joyful when you're at your lowest. Be joyful regardless of the circumstances. Be joyful regardless of what comes your way. Count it all joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Yo, it's interesting here. James says, count it all joy no matter what you are going through. Trust God's plans. You see, one, because God is working something in you. Yo, all that trials are in the believer's life is they're just faith testers. That's what they are. Trials just test our faith. Where is our faith? Where is our security? Where is our hope? We talked about that last week. But we can count it all joy because we know God is producing something in us. Not only that. We can count it all joy because we know whatever pain we're going through here, we can rejoice because we know what the end's going to be. We can rejoice because one day we know we're not going to be here anymore. We can rejoice because we know that one day God is going to come back and he is going to make it all right. I think that's why Romans 15, 13 starts by saying, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. Put your hope in him. Put your joy in him. Y'all, joy is a happiness in the soul. But it is not based in our situation. Joy is this happiness in our soul that's not based in our situation. We can be sad and yet hold on to Jesus for joy. We can go through hard times and yet hold on to Jesus for joy. And y'all, the Bible is replete with examples of this. Of people who are going through the most difficult circumstances of their lives, but in the midst of it, they go, I will rejoice in you. Go to Habakkuk, one of the best examples. Just read Habakkuk 3, the end of Habakkuk 3. 
Basically, it says this, though I might starve, though you might not show up and save us, I will rejoice in you. Look at Job. I'll rejoice in you. Look at Elijah. At one point, he's, he's at his lowest point, and he literally asked God, God, let me die. But then we see his joy comes from the presence of the Lord. We see this all throughout in Scripture. Your joy is not based in your circumstances. Your joy is based in Jesus. Regardless of what you're going through, you can have joy in him. Trust in him, believe in him, and remain in him. Joy is cultivated us when we value his presence, his promises, and his plans as we should. Y'all, in closing this morning, I just want to look at Matthew 2.10 just one more time, and I want you to see something. It says this about the wise men. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Again, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Yo, we don't know exactly where these men from the east came. We don't know exactly where these wise men came from, but the closest that would have been would have been Babylon, well over 100 miles away. Many people think it was Persia, which would have been even further than that. But regardless, we can't let the nativity scenes we put up cloud our viewpoint here. Wise men didn't travel via camels. Wise men traveled by walking. Same way rabbis traveled, by walking. That was your source and your mode of traveling. I don't know if you know much about the Middle East, but the climate in the Middle East isn't exactly the most accommodating. It's arid. It's harsh. It's rough, right? And these men traveled hundreds of miles one way, hundreds of miles, just to turn back and go back. But their whole journey, no doubt they experienced trials in it. No doubt the weather was tough. No doubt the terrain was tough. No doubt the journey itself was weary. But when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Y'all, for the Christian, this is what our life looks like. We should run, staying in the presence of Jesus. Seeking to know Jesus and follow him more and to obey him more. Always looking forward to the day whenever we stand before him. One day we all are going to die. And all of us will stand before our creator. Live now. No matter what comes your way, running. Because whenever you see him, nothing will be on your face but joy. The trials are worth it. The difficulties are worth it. This life is worth it. But we must find that our joy is not here. Y'all, this Christmas, be reminded of Jesus. When you hear joy to the world, whenever you sing joy to the world, recognize that that really is true. Joy came to the world. And now he's given it to us through his Holy Spirit. The Lord has come. We have a grand reason to rejoice. He is the source. His joy is for all people. The joy he gives us is a continual joy that one day will be actualized when we see him face to face. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I just thank you again. God, I thank you for the joy that we have in you. God, I thank you and praise you for, for the futility of the things of this world, Lord. I've experienced both failure in areas and success in areas, and I thank you for the lessons of both, that neither one of them fulfill me for longer than the moment at least. God, I thank you even more so that in these you show us that there is a vacuum there is a hole in our hearts that only you can feel. We will not be joyful from the things in this world. We will not be content from the things in this world. We only will be content and joyful when we find our rest in you.
God, I pray this morning, Lord, help us respond to you. Help us respond to you. God, convict our hearts where we need to be convicted. Repent where we need to be repented or where we need to repent. And God, help us turn and follow you this morning. We ask all this in your precious and holy son's name. Amen. Y'all, as we close this morning, I just want to turn your attention just to two thoughts. One, I would ask you this. Where are you looking for joy and fulfillment? Y'all, for many of us in this morning, if I talk about the first half of this where the world talks about we look for our joy, if many of us are honest this morning, that's where we have been running. We've done the switch method maybe, the frantic method maybe. Will you recognize this morning that joy can only be found in Jesus? As Augustine said, our soul is restless until it finds its rest in you. I would simply ask you, have you found your rest in Jesus? Have you found your rest in him? If not this morning, the good news is joy has come. You can have a relationship with him. Repent and surrender your life to him this morning. Secondly from that, if you say, Merrick, I'm a follower of Jesus this morning, I'd remind you joy is cultivated in us when we value God's presence, God's promises, and God's plans as we should. So do you value his presence? The answer is, what does your life say? Do you spend time with him? Do you value his promises? How much do you spend time knowing his word? How much do you try and put all of your life under God's word and say, I want to follow Jesus wherever, whenever, however, whatever? And do you value his plans? You know, many of us have had a hard time this year. It's been a struggle. But do you trust him? If we believe that joy comes from outside of us, then it's not in our circumstances. It's in Jesus who's with us in the midst of our circumstances. Do you find your joy in him this morning no matter where you're at? I'd ask you this morning to, while the band plays and sings, just to reflect. How do you need to respond to the Lord this morning?